Open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 55. My head this morning seems to be swimming with a lot of messages. Uh, Lord willing, I'm going to focus on, on this one. Uh, if it takes you a minute to turn places, uh, you can go ahead and start turning to 2 Kings as well. Uh, we're going to spend quite a bit of time there uh, for this particular message. But my text comes from Isaiah 55. Verses 1 through 7. And the title of the message is, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. It says in Isaiah 55, starting in verse 1, Po everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he hath, that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Thought this first verse at least would be something close to our hearts as we're rushing to the stores for bread and milk for a couple inches of snow. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me, here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God, and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. We've seen a little bit of this recently, uh, and, and there's been a lot of messages that have, have been stirred up in my heart and in my studies from what we've been looking at in the afternoon, uh, particularly last Sunday afternoon with the lepers, so some of that may come up. As we look at 2 Kings chapter 5, if you know the text, you know why some of that will come up with Naaman. In the Lord's teaching in Nazareth, the crowd in the synagogue was stunned when Jesus proclaimed that the scriptures were being fulfilled. And they began to say in Luke 4.22, Is not this Joseph's son? And this is a little earlier than where we're at now. We're currently working our way through Luke 17, I believe. I think we just wrapped it up. But in Luke 4, he was beginning to tell them that Scripture had been fulfilled in their ears. And their response was, how could this be so? Is this not Joseph's son, the carpenter's son? Is this not just a man, just a craftsman? Jesus proceeded to explain that their lack of faith would not limit nor stop the will of God. It still won't. Man's rebellion has not gotten to such a great height in which it will stop the will of God. We are still going to be subject to it. He gave ministries of uh, Elijah and Elisha as examples in the text that follows there in Luke 4. And for our study today, <clears throat> I want to focus mainly on that Elisha example. Listen to what he said in Luke 4, verse 27. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisius, which is Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian, the Gentile. Turn now, if you will, to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, for, for my family, it might be refreshing. I remember uh, 
well, probably about six years ago at this point, I had taught a, I was teaching through the prophets, and I, I, Elijah is one of my favorite to teach. We got into the ministry of Elisha, and, uh, and we met Gehazi for the first time. And I told the kids, don't worry, coming up in a week or two, we'll get into Galatia, or, or 2 Kings 5, and we'll see the truth of Gehazi. That was about six years ago. We're finally there, kids. Uh, in the filing cabinet there, you can go refresh on the other outline that uh, led up into this one. But uh, it's been on my heart for a while to get into this, and the Lord led right into it. Second Kings chapter 5. I'm going to read the entire thing, and, and Lord willing, uh, we'll, we'll expound upon it as we go through. Second Kings chapter 5. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrian had gone out by companies, and the Syrians had gone out by companies, and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid, that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter has come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Verse 7, And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? They went, he, then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Verse 15, And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules' burden of earth? 
For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. In this thing the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And he said unto him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of this chapter, but understand we're going to deal with the verses 1 through 19 a lot first, and then we'll get to Gehazi. Verse 20, But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman this Syrian, this Gentile, and not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And if you know chapter 4, that phrase, is all well, is stirring. Remember the woman who had the child who had died. And she didn't ask for a child, but it was a blessing from Elisha and from the Lord through Elisha to her family. And that phrase, is it well, it is well, is it well, it is well, it goes throughout that entire chapter. Um, And now I want to preach that too, but... Uh, just understand that this has meaning, a deep, deep meaning. And if you're thinking of the hymn, uh, you're not wrong. And he said, All is well. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed uh, them in the house and he let the men go and they departed. Verse 25, But he went in and stood before his master and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee? When the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee, is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. And we spent a lot of time last week talking about leprosy so you understand the significance of what just took place. But again, uh, we're going to get the Gehazi at the end of the message, Lord willing. In this event, like with the risen brother of Mary and Martha, we can find a clear picture of salvation. We do see the phrase, do we not? Do this and live. Right at the onset of this chapter. I, I, I mean, just as Joseph said it is old, of, of old, I'm of the mindset that every time we see a phrase very similar to do this and live, We ought to rear up as Christians and pay very close attention because salvation is at hand. We ought to acknowledge the hand of God is very much at work and something wonderful is about to happen when the preacher, the man of God, some instrument of God says, do this and live. We should give all attention. Life is that precious, is it not? An everlasting life is but a great gift that only God can bestow, and that is the terms for which is on the table. The one leper that returned not only got healed physically, but got healed spiritually. He did and lived. But as we deal with Naaman first, we need to acknowledge 
a few things, and I, I'm not real good. My outlines go numbers to letters to numbers again. I can't tell you how many points I have under Naaman. I have E amount of points under Naaman. So whatever, we just try to figure out dates, so I'm not going to try and figure out letters and numbers at the same time. But we're all the way through E, so there's quite a few. First, got to acknowledge that Naaman was condemned. He was a leper. He couldn't hide his condemnation. He was a leper. Now, he wasn't a Hebrew, so he wasn't going and, and, and wasn't subject to Levitical law, so he wasn't going around saying that he was unclean. But everyone understood, including this maid to his wife, that he had leprosy. His beautiful uniform and his mighty victories could not disguise the fact that Naaman was a dead man. For he had a disease that man could not cure. Remember how I described this last week? That customer I had when I was delivering groceries, that her bottom jaw was gone, a lot of her fingers, her toes, gone. There's nothing Naaman could have done to hide the disease that he was stricken with. And you can read through Leviticus chapter 13 and 14 to understand how the Lord had told his people to handle it. And you can also see there the illustration of leprosy as sinfulness. We also acknowledge, secondly, that Naaman was an enemy. We're told over and over again he's a Syrian. And as you go through the previous couple of chapters, and I think I preached from some of this at Denham Springs this past year, the Syrians were enemies. And they were constantly doing battle with Israel. They were continually pummeling them, continually looking for them, finding them, and attacking them. Naaman is a Syrian. We're told over and over again in the beginning of this chapter. Now he had a Jewish maid serving in his home. This would have been a girl kidnapped in a previous raid. But as a Gentile, Naaman was outside the blessings of Israel. Naaman was not outside the reach of God or outside the visibility of God, but based on the original covenant, he was outside of the blessings of God. But he had a little Hebrew maid who knew God. And it's an exclamation point. Go back and look at that, that particular verse. She says in verse 3, uh, And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria. This little girl's preaching. She's preaching. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, <coughs> who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ. At that time, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And at that time, strangers from the covenants of promise. At that time, having no hope. At that time, without God in the world. But Paul writes, Now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Amen. God gave his Son for us while we were enemies. Romans 5, verses 6-10. Thirdly, Naaman heard a witness. The little Jewish maid loved her master. Even though she was far from home, she did not forget her God. She was quick to witness of his great power. And notice the faith. The exclamation points are hard to find in the translation of Scripture. And yet her faith demanded there be one. God has a man in Samaria. Oh, if he, but, if he were but with him, if he were but nigh, if God were but present in this room, Oh, I wonder if we have such a testimony in our times of distress, such a testimony that God will provide, such a testimony that His presence will make such a difference. 
She's talking to a dead man. I mean, she's not directly speaking to him, but this message is coming through the channels to him. And the exclamation point not only stuck through that channel, but all the way to this one. She demanded an exclamation point for the message that a dead man was going to hear. Had she not been a faithful worker in the house, she would not have been an effective witness. That's something to think about. Colossians 3 tells us to do all things as if unto the Lord. Had she been a lazy, complaining, slacking maid, one so awful they regretted taking her to begin with, and then she said this, it wouldn't have been worth its salt. They wouldn't have listened. Remember that Joseph had a powerful message, was used mightily of the Lord, but also we're told over and over and over again that everywhere he was kept was made fruitful. It wasn't because he was a lazy worker. It wasn't because he had a bad testimony as a servant. Our testimony, I know many of us don't love our jobs, but our testimony in those things that we are called to do, because in all things we are to do them as if unto the Lord, is very important. Because we're planted around Gentiles. We're planted around non-believers. We're planted amongst people who are falling prey to the fear in this land, which is growing greater and stronger every day. Talk to some of your coworkers that have young children in public school and see if there's any fear. There's definitely fear. Fourthly, uh, this will make it real interesting for the lettering because somehow my lettering's off. I go from D to B. Just forget everything I said about E, Charlie. That's not going to matter anymore. Fourthly, I'm, I'm there so far. Let's just break these numbers in. He tried to save himself. Look at what happens. First, he goes to the king of Syria, who, of course, could do nothing for Naaman. Then, Naaman went to the king of Israel, who literally says, Am I God? What can I do? He can do nothing. It is because the king of Israel rent his clothes that Elisha even gets involved to begin with. How many lost sinners run from one person to another seeking salvation, seeking hope, all the while Christ is able? We probably do it too. If I wasn't trying to be a man in front of my son, I probably would have called my wife about that little cactus needle. I said, oh baby, it's so bad. What am I going to do? Do we have to cut it off? Is this finger gone to me forever? Oh, it sounds silly, but we do it. Did I just spread it to my eye just now just by scratching it? We do it. We seek the counsel of worldly things constantly. Anybody looked at your astrological uh, sign lately to see how it'll go for cancers in the year 2024? It'll go poorly apart from Christ. And I didn't need to look at the stars to get it. We constantly look at these things. Even Farmer's Almanac to try and find out how things are going to go. We know how things are going to go. Read this. I think Terry shared it this week. Give all diligence to read this. Wear it out. Exercise the Word of God. Or in other words, seek ye the Lord while He may be found. This is the time. Though the Bible's been removed from the bestseller list, it's still available to you. You can go to Gardner's Used Bookstore on the other side of town and for five bucks get you a King James Bible for your neighbor. He is able, even now, beloved, he's not waiting 
He is not waiting for you to answer the door. He's not waiting for us to invite him in. Do you know what he's doing? Calling. Lazarus, come forth! He's never been a waiter. He's always been the caller. He's calling. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the message. This is the message that when we're done here today, we all should be taking out to the world. That's where the sinners are. That's where the Naamans are. We should be taking it to our workplaces. I had a pastor one time that said, well, we shouldn't cross that line. What are we here for then? Why am I an employee of the place that I'm an employee of if I'm not meant to also be a Christian employee of the place that I'm an employee of? If they don't want me there, they'll fire me. <coughs> there's still other jobs. Give our president four more years. There might not be, but there's still other jobs. Beloved, why are we so ashamed of him and then justifying it because somebody else says separation of church and state? That's not what that means. Look it up. I am a Christian. It should come up in my interview if I still need more jobs. It should come up in every conversation. By the way, I'll take an omelet, orange juice, and I'm a Christian. Are you saved? It should come up in every conversation because the clock is ticking and our Master doth come quickly. That's the last verse of the Bible. Note that Naaman also was ignorant of grace. He brought with him a great deal of wealth. Look at 2 Kings 5.5. 5, and I marked a few others as we were going through. 5.5, 5, uh, verse 6, verse 9. He came with horses and his chariot. We also see later him coming down from the chariot um, to, to greet Gehazi as he runs to him. The lost sinner tries to purchase salvation or earn it. And if they so desire, which is rare to find one like Naaman who is so desirous of a healing, they'll bring everything they have. Seek him while he can be found, but he cannot be purchased. You know, if he could be purchased, what would happen next? You're going to find out with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. It's a very expensive relationship. They're mutually benefiting from both right now. Wait till the Chiefs don't win the Super Bowl. Wait then and see how quickly the pop star leaves. See, this is what we bring to the equation. Of course I'll help you. And you'll remember me. You'll remember me later. Of course I'll do this thing. Oh, you need a loan? I'd be glad to help you. And on the bottom of every dollar bill, it says a transaction took place. Remember me. We can't purchase Christ because He cannot be manipulated and He cannot be changed. It was by grace that we are saved or we are not saved at all. We have no power, no influence, no, nothing for which we can change or distort except by our own laziness as stewards to tend to this work. The lost sinner tries to purchase or earn it. You know what that is? It's come up in a lot of messages lately. It's religion. Think about it. And every time I say the word religion, we shouldn't immediately think of Catholicism. I'm pretty sure some of us just did. But every one of the denominational institutions in our country do the same thing. They'll tell you it's free. They'll tell you it can't be purchased. But to have it their way, it does come at a cost. You ever try to put cheese on a Whopper? Of course we'll do that. 30 cents. 
least that's what it used to be. I don't know what it is now. It's not even real cheese. Salvation is by the free gift of grace only. Fifthly, Naaman was called by God. Elisha heard about Naaman's plight and sent for him. No, Elisha wasn't just happening through the halls of the king of Israel's castle one day and stops and says, your clothes are rent. What's going on now? It literally in the text, there's no conversation in between the two. He notices the clothes are rent and says, send them to me. Why are your clothes rent? God's real. It's almost as if, and I don't want to read too much into it, but it's almost like Elisha is challenging the faith of the king of Israel. God is real. He will heal him if it's his will. Send him to me. No sinner deserves to be saved. It is only through the gracious calling of the Spirit that anyone comes to Christ. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. John 6, 37, Jesus says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Back there in Luke 4 that we were referencing in the introduction, Jesus tells us that Naaman was, was one of many lepers in the land. But the Lord chose him. The Lord healed him. This is grace. And if we think that God is all love and no fury, no wrath, remember that this chapter ends with Gehazi being afflicted and all of his children with leprosy. Sixthly, or C, somehow, if you're looking at the outline, we see that Naaman resisted God's simple way of salvation. Elisha did not come out to see Naaman. The general was a leper and would have defiled the prophet. Elisha wanted Naaman to know that he was a rejected and condemned man. Elisha wasn't trying to be mean. Elisha was honoring God. He was doing the work of God, but he was still honoring God. We ought to be able to honor God doing the work of God, shouldn't we? See, the idea of bending the rules so that we can please God, that doesn't work with the man upstairs. But that would be as though I pulled out some thought in my, from my pocket and said, this is a mission of God. Well, we have a church. We know how the Lord has organized missions. We know the authority of the Lord's church and how important that is. So me saying it's a mission doesn't make it a mission. Me saying it's the will of God because it's an idea that popped into my head and I'm a man of God, so it must be, does not make it an idea or the will of God. Compare it to Scripture. What does Scripture sayeth? As we talked about last Sunday. He treated the proud general like a sinner. Naaman outwardly was afflicted with leprosy and represented a very clear sinner. Naaman was angry at such treatment, as sinners tend to be. Doesn't he know who I am? His own words, shouldn't he have come out here, done some grandiose thing and called upon the Lord God upon my flesh? Do I not deserve that? No, Naaman, you don't. Hey, we got to hear this. No, Naaman, you don't deserve that. And no, Naaman, you don't deserve a cross. You don't deserve a Christ. We do not deserve mercy at all. And this is what Naaman is being taught here. He's given away. Do this and live. But he's not given merit. He doesn't earn it. He can't pay for it. And he's not entitled to it. Like sinners today, Naaman thought the prophet would put him through some ritual, verse 11, and you can write in your Bibles next to verse 11, religion. 
to make him well. This is why it's so easy for us to embrace it when it comes from denominational institutions. Of course religion would have some kind of practice like this. It's God. It makes sense. It's not Bible. It's not Bible from Genesis to Revelation. But it is man's need to be involved in the salvation process. That's fake. That's religion. That's the origin of false news, beloved. That's not what God said at all. What need have he of sacrifices and of temples? He requires a consecrated heart. A heart that is for God will do what God's asked him to do. And Elisha rebels immediately. There's so many other rivers in my home country away from these filthy Hebrews. Shouldn't I be cleaner dipping seven times into one of those? He would not humble himself to go into the Jordan, which they knew as, uh, it directly translates as descender, but they knew it as the river of death. He thought that this, that, that his lovely rivers closer to home were far superior to this one. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, Jesus came into his own city, and behold, that they, they brought to him a man sick of palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto them, the, the, said unto the sick of palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk, which is very similar to what the servants of Naaman say to him in our text. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. Seventhly, he was, Naaman was cured by his obedient faith. The humble servant in verse 13 had more sense than the great general. Faith is always described as a simple thing. Look at verse 13. And his servants, Naaman's servants, came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? If he asked you to go to the highest mountaintop, shout that you're unclean and then leap, would you not have considered this some mighty work of God? But he asked you to do some simple thing. How much rather then when he saith to thee, wash and be clean? How much rather would you, should you rush to do this simple thing that this man of God has told you? I mean, Naaman has given cause here. A cause has been inflicted upon him, if you will, for him to consider the, the providential measures that the Lord took place to get him. A Jewish servant sent you to the man of God. You went to the king first. You went to your king, he said no. You went to their king, he said no. You brought all of this profit, all of this money. He required none of it. The man of God, without even seeing you, told you what to do and you wouldn't do it after all that has already taken place that cannot be explained. This servant or servants seemingly have more sense than the general. Romans 10, verses 8 through 11, The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. This is the text from last week. And in thy heart, that is the word of faith, which we preach, 
that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That sounds too easy. We should have to light candles. We should have to learn new sacramental measures of atonement. Now it is Catholic. Every couple of years. And you know what else we should do? We should pay tribute. Lay out palms for a Palm Sunday. We'll do a Palm Sunday. And for 40 days, we should give up something else and try to be holy. And so on and so on and so on because it shouldn't be this easy. But Scripture says it is. Most clearly. You know that the servant was just a friend of Naaman. He probably would be like, you idiot. Just go dip in the Jordan seven times. And common sense would tell you, even if it doesn't work out, it's seven dips in the Jordan. It cost you nothing. You were ready to pay fortunes. Simon Peter said in Acts chapter 10, verse 42 and 43, that Jesus commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is Jesus which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Sounds too easy. But when Naaman obeyed in faith, he was born again. He came out of the waters with flesh as clean as that of a little child. Could you imagine his reaction to seeing this thing take place? If we saw it CGI'd in a high-budget movie, we'd still say that's fake. But Naaman was having it happen right before his eyes. Coming out of this nasty Jordan, clean, white as snow. His faith was proved by his works. He trusted the word and acted upon it. He was not saved by the Jordan because baptism doesn't save. He was saved by faith. Number eight, Naaman had assurance. You had to forgive me. This one's going to be a little bit longer than the last couple of weeks. Naaman had assurance. He had said, Behold, I thought, in verse 11. And if you look at those verses with me, it'll save me having to read them all over again. But when he receives the word from Elisha, he says, Behold, I thought. But now look over at verse 15. Behold, now I know. Verse 15. Behold, I thought. That's religion. Behold, I know. That's faith. It is a no-so salvation. It's real to him. Some of us could argue, the Jordan, really? You're healed, really? You're changed, really? And Naaman would plead, look at my flesh! It was once scaly! My fingers that maybe had once fallen off! I've been made whole! You're never going to change his mind. He knows that he was saved. He knows that he was changed. He gave public testimony to the reality of God's power and the fact that Jehovah alone was the true God. There's a lot we could dig into in verses 17 through 19. But understand, he's already got guilt over Rimmon. He already has guilt over the false idols and little g-gods in his life. Would he that was made whole doubt the abilities of that which healed him? Psalm 51, verses 7 through 8, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Now, there'd be no doubt. If you're healed of the Lord Jesus, there'd be no doubt. So grateful was he that he offered wealth to Elisha, who, of course, refused to accept the gift. Had he accepted the gift, just a quick note on the cost of all of that, it would have ruined the lesson of salvation by grace. It would have changed this sermon completely. 
It would have robbed God of all the glory, just as our text from Isaiah 55 says that it would. How could we seek Him while He may be found if we don't have chariots of wealth, ten changes of garment or raiment, all that silver and all that gold? How could we seek Him while He may be found? Who could afford it? <coughs> Lastly, Gehazi, which we see in verses 20 through 27. Here's where we once again see the necessity of self-reflection against God's Word or His will. Gehazi disagreed with God's Word. That was the beginning of his troubles and his sins. Had he submitted to God's Word and judged the covetousness of his own heart, he would never have been a leper by the end of this chapter. He would have been content in staying near God's man, Elisha, and never having run after to beg wealth of this one who had been made whole. There's a picture there of one begging from a healed man. Is there not? And what, the, what, will, what is the phrase that we all know so well from the New Testament? Depart from thee, I never knew thee. He's desperately in his mind and in his flesh seeking after some gold, some raiment, some wealth. But what he desperately needs, he cannot beg from Naaman. Revelation chapter 22, verse 18 and 19. Our revelator, John, the apostle says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. The description of Gehazi's action when compared to, uh, when compared in context with his entire story, which goes back to the previous chapter, are even more despicable. When the child was dead and in need of assistance in chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, Gehazi doesn't run. Elisha gives him his staff. Elisha tells Gehazi what to do to restore life unto this child, restore wellness or hope unto that household. He does not run. But here, in verse 20, when he has established his own devious act, he runs. Look at verse 20. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian. He says, Behold, he's shocked. In not receiving at his hands that which he brought, but as the Lord liveth, I will run after him. He is blaspheming. And take somewhat of him. And he's not even saying he will require or ask. He's saying, I'll take. He's already established in his heart, I'm going to deceive Naaman. This man who's jubilantly healed, I'm going to deceive him and take from him. Denominational institutions practicing religion are doing the same thing, beloved. Here in our text, he runs to complete this task. I'm afraid we too may be guilty of marking off time on our calendar for ball games, for vacations, long before regular church service times. We do the same thing. I will run and I will take. Give me the calendar of 52 weeks and I will run and I will take this for vacation and this for a trip and this for that. But what of the Lord? Beloved, I try to hold off teaching from Haggai as much as I can, but if the Lord makes me, we have to. Ye have sealed houses. Ye have well cared for houses, the prophet says. But what of the Lord's house? Boy, that still hurts, doesn't it? It's not just the members who aren't here. It's not just the members who miss often. It's not even just those sitting out there facing this way. We are called to take care of this place. 
to take care of the mission that we have. We are called to see it through to its fruition. We are called to be faithful, to self-analyze and self-reflect that the Scriptures line up with our actions. As Isaac's prayed before, we might be the only Bible others will ever read. Does it line up? Here's the thing he doesn't say when he prays that. One day they may have a KJV in their hands and start to go, you're not the same Bible at all. You're not living this. May the Lord help us. We can look at Gehazi's example and say, well, he's despicable. He deserved leprosy. So do I. So do I. Come see me in my worst hours. House being renovated, sharing one bathroom. Pick a day this week. Come see me. I don't deserve it either. I too am prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Gehazi was proven to be a thief. By taking the money, Gehazi robbed God of his glory, contradicted the word of the prophet, and gave the impression to Naaman that salvation involved money and good works. Yes, Elisha told him up front it didn't. But Gehazi proved later that there's a rain check clause. That Though it didn't cost you anything up front, at any given time we may have to come around and say, remember that thing. There's two people coming into town that need those things you have. Remember that thing that was done for you? That's not salvation. That's religion. His one selfish deed ruined the whole picture. Gehazi received so much wealth that two of Naaman's servants had to carry it back with him. It wasn't a light thing. He's also proven to be a liar. He lied to Naaman about what Elisha had required. He lied about anything happening when questioned by Elisha. There's multiple lies there. He lied about not going anywhere. That's one of them. It's likely, in fact, looking back at chapter 4, that even with that dead child, God already knew what was in Gehazi's heart, which is why Gehazi could not bring life to that child. He knows what motivates our heart. The heart strings, as Scripture refers to it, he knows. Uh, is he not wise enough to know who really is his and who really isn't? It hurts us when it's revealed. When one that we thought was walking with us truly isn't. It hurts us to hear what our brother's going through. It hurts us when people aren't what they seem to be. Gehazi is not what he had appeared to be. That's our example. And now his lineage is riddled with leprosy as it's been revealed and will be revealed outwardly now going forward. He is unclean. How sad it is to see a devoted servant of the Lord brought into shame and rejection because of his covetousness. It can be the cause of all kinds of sins. We see here it led to multiple lives to desperately cover it up. That old phrase, the tangled web we weave when first we attempt to or successfully deceive. It's true, and it keeps on going. It has to be covered up. We've experienced that with those lions, tigers, and bears over previous months. There's some things people don't want to get out. It has to be covered up. We'll have to do whatever we have to do. That's written in our code. That is who we are in the flesh. What Charlie thinks of me, what Isaac thinks of me, what you think of me is very, very important. The truth is I'm a sinner, and I'm trying to cover it up. It is idolatry, as Paul said in Colossians 3.5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, 
which is idolatry. Jesus said in Mark 7, 22, it defiles man. And we see that here with Gehazi. If people, people covet something or someone, there is no sin they will not commit to get what they want. Elisha, the servant of the Lord, did not live for material gain. He lived wholly for the glory of God. When he was first led to follow the Lord, way back in 1 Kings 19, he slayed the oxen, fed the people, and followed Elisha. He tended to the ministry of God the Father. Gehazi proves, uh, proved in this text that he's less faithful than that little maid that the Lord providentially placed with Naaman's wife. She's not named, but she's kind of an Esther. For such a time as this, even as a servant, a slave to Naaman's wife, she is used. Beloved, we are to seek ye the Lord while he may be found. And even if you're here and you know him, seek him and seek him often. What I'm involved in, what I'm doing, does it line up with the will of the Father for me? That silver cup we talked about last week, it is a burden thrust upon Benjamin and his brethren. What will we do with it? It's our burden too. May the Lord be with us. There was a 